This is Word of Life in Bentonville, Arkansas, and this is our Wednesday night teaching. Tonight we have Pastor Rick Morgan teaching on authority. I hope you enjoy. God bless. I am really good at breaking fasts. I want you to tell you that. I really am. I I, I went on a fast uh, twice for four days, and everybody told me that when you get to the fourth day that you are not hungry anymore. And that was a lie from the pit of hell. I'm telling you, I was so upset. I thought it was, I was going to be super spiritual after four days. <laughs> that didn't help. Uh, but anyway, Lord, we just lift up tonight to you, God. And I, I really have outside of you no capacity to communicate anything. God, and I know this is a time where we have interaction as well. So help me. Uh, I don't know, God. I'm, I, I don't want to be somebody who just dominates with preaching. At the same time, I do want to say what you want me to say. And uh, just have a time of where we all can learn together. So, God, we ask you bless this time. Uh, just thank you for our church word of life just in Jesus name amen so I I felt like talking about authority today because um, well just to be honest with you you guys are are the ones that come on Wednesday night for discipleship which means you're gluttons for punishment Uh, but no you really are all for all intents and purposes uh, you know you're the pillars you know that, that back up the pastoral staff and all that so I think it's important to talk about authority uh, I'd like you to look, if you will, for Mark. Uh, look at chapter Mark. Or I'm sorry, Mark chapter one, verse twenty-one through twenty-eight. And uh, <clears throat> I want to just rule, just to give a pre- the preference of what we're kind of develop a foundation by what we're t- talking about. Maybe even develop a little hunger uh, for real authority, because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings of what is real authority and what isn't. And um, so it says in verse twenty-one in the first chapter of Mark. Um, It says this, Then they, the disciples and Jesus, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And they were the people in the synagogue, right? They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one one having what? Authority, right? And not as the scribes who spoke from the Bible. They spoke from Scripture, right? Uh, Not as the scribes. Uh, now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, The demon, right? Let us alone. What, have you, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed. This isn't something that happened very much. you got guys preaching the Bible all the time, showing up at the temple, but this didn't happen. They're amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with what? Authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So I want to give you two quick thoughts to build a foundation what I'm going to talk about. And I don't know how far we'll go tonight, but let's see what happens. Um, two thoughts about spiritual authority. And the first thing is, is, The difference between Jesus and the Jews was not that Jesus taught from the word of God and they didn't teach from the word of God. The difference was Jesus taught the word of God with authority and they didn't. Right? The religious Jews were obsessive and meticulous in their, in their, in their, in their, uh, their, their point of view towards Scripture. They would wash themselves seven times for every single word of Yahweh that they would write, the scribes. They, they would put Scripture in their clothing. A Pharisee would have, they had to have for minimum, they had to have the Pentateuch memorized. And a good Pharisee, which I believe Paul probably had a, a photographic memory because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and if you talk, when he talks about himself, Hebrew of Hebrews. 
uh, a good a good Pharisee would have the whole Bible, uh, the known Bible at that time, the whole the Pentateuch and the law. Uh, the, the the well, anyway, I won't go just the whole Old Testament memorized. So so these guys, listen, they the Jews held the Word of God in high esteem more probably than any other uh, uh, people ever on the earth, right? The Jewish leaders, uh, uh, you know, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they were amazing how they dealt with the Scripture, and yet they crucified the personified Word of God, or the physical Word of God, Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing, no? Um, And so that means that we can amass an enormous level of knowledge of the Word of God while at the same time, be empty of Christ, be empty of His Word, be em- or not of His Word necessarily, but empty of the anointing of the Word, and even the principles of the Word, uh, and authority. So that's the first thing that I see there. The second thing I see is, it, it makes this chapter makes me ask myself, when I declare the things of God, do I have the authority and backing of God, right? Because you, there was all these guys that are doing stuff, and nothing ever happened. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus shows up in a matter of moments, brings a transformation of the environment. A guy, is a demon's cast out. And you see these Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and scribes all preaching and teaching. And, 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 and people are demon-possessed arriving. And they're, they're basically educating demons. Jesus comes for a moment of time. Reads Isaiah chapter, what is it, 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And bam instantly delivered and the demons say are you here to destroy us isn't that amazing we can have a form of godliness we can go through all the routine we can do everything that what everybody says we need to do is right and correct and be absence of the authority of god be absence of the transformation of god so where did jesus get this authority one thing other thing i do want to make a point real quick before i answer that question we make a huge mistake i believe when it comes to authority we think that amassing knowledge is the same as authority you know, you can know everything that the Bible says about adultery and be adulterer. You can know everything that the Bible says about forgiveness and be bitter. You could know every mistake that your pastor makes in the church and never be able to raise up a church like he did. You understand what I'm saying? And, and we have this idea that if we just amass a lot of knowledge, if we send somebody to Bible school and they come out, they're a pastor. No, they're not a pastor. Right? Not necessarily. Because there's a process. There's a preparation. And so we'll get into that when we talk about identity here in a second. So where did Jesus get this authority from? Where did he get it from? Well, okay, so I want to talk about some things that I believe that limit our authority as Christians and as leaders. And and, and I'll just say this at the very beginning. All of us have been created with... with, a DNA with to have dominion and things like that, and it's through a relationship with Christ that He begins to develop those things. And a lot of times, when we leave church because of uncomfortable situations, we're leaving the very process that God's using to prepare all those gifting in us. Because you can have a lot of you can have oodles of giftings, and never have authority. Because until those giftings are developed, your sphere of authority is not developed. But you were created to have dominion. You're created in, in a way to to do something significant on earth. Anyway, uh, so the first concept that I would like to talk about is this. I think many times our authority is limited because of the father concept. Okay, and let me explain that. So Jesus in chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 says this matter, of this manner should we pray. What? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
and you know that you know that kingdom come you know the rest of the prayer now that is not a prayer it's just it's an outline of how to pray they didn't come and say lord teach us a prayer there's no magical prayer teach us how to communicate teach us how to pray and he gives this outline but the thing he starts off with our father he didn't say my father and if you behave yourself i'll kind of talk to him for you you through him can talk to god he's your father I think this is very important because, you know, the disciples asked him, how shall we pray? And he said, he didn't, he didn't come off saying, oh, holy, sovereign, omnipotent, master of the universe, your servants, your servants humbly pray that you would give us out of your, your immense bounty a morsel of bread if it's your will. I mean, that, he, said, he said, our father, our father, daddy, dad. And this is why Jesus operated under a different authority. He saw God as father. Not as master of the universe. Um, even though he is. Right? Um, for the Jews, God was El Shaddai. Elohim. But for Jesus, he was dad. He was father. Right? I always get that vision of a little kid playing around his daddy's throne. And he says, you better stop it. <laughs> he just keeps on. He keeps, he's my daddy. You know, the same man that, that's on the throne that could possibly execute the next ten people that come in. You know, you ever noticed you can't fire a kid? You ever notice that? Right? You can't. You can't fire your kid if they work for you. You know, because they're your kids. It's, um, it's different. So, but to the Jews, God was El Shaddai, Elohim. But for Jesus, he was his father. And he told us this is how we would pray. Our father. Now, the fact that we say father, 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 father. I hear people, father God, father God, father God. Please, if it's your will, heal me of diabetes. And I'm like. What father wants their child to have diabetes? Raise your hand. See, here's the deal. We talk to God using the word father, but we really see him as king. And even though he's the king of the universe, he's my dad. He's my father. And I know that. And you've got to know that. Because the person that sees God as father walks with far more authority than the person that sees him as a king and you're just a subject. I'm going to break this out a little bit if I can. Um, so there's a big, big difference, right? But I, well, I'll, t- I'll say it to you this way. Um, all Christians know that the Bible says that we're sons and daughters of God, but the majority pray and act like orphans because they see God as a wrathful king instead of a loving father, right? And one of the main reasons why I believe that we lack spiritual authority is because there's a lot of people in church nowadays that are trying to form spiritual sons and daughters of God when they feel like orphans, right? If I don't go to church, oh, I feel this, this pain. Has God given me a stroke? You, you, you know what I mean? I mean, we, we have these concepts that fathers don't want to do to kids, right? And God does discipline. I'm not saying that, but he disciplines with love. There's a great difference between the way a, a, um, a subject sees his king and the way a son or daughter sees his father. For example, a king wields his authority over his people to expand his throne. The people are nothing more than a medium to get to his throne. You know, but a good father exercises his authority. Listen, listen to this. A good father exercises his authority to equip and empower his sons and daughters to have dominion and authority to one day possess what he has. That's the difference. We are not just... We're just not just some random existence that he uses to get from point A to point Z. He wants to pass on to us. We are co-heirs in Christ. He wants to pass on to us 
what he has. He's a dad. He's a father. He loves us. Simply put, a king seeks the benefit of his throne. A father seeks the benefit of his kids. And that's our God. That's the God we serve. This is why Jesus functioned under an entirely different authority because he knew God as God his father, not as God as king. And even though God is the king of the universe, he's our father in Christ. We become, he was the first son and we become the second in Christ, you know. So let me give you an example of this and then I'll go, I'll go on to the next point. Um, okay, so years ago I was in El Salvador and I just arrived from a trip and I always had this kind of vanity thing that I like to do. I like that when I come back to the States, I buy certain shirts that I thought were cool, you know, power shirts, whatever. And, and I would wear them and, you know, and, and I'd wear them out, you know. But I brought this one shirt that I loved, a blue shirt and collar, and, and I had it ironed and everything. And I left it hanging there, and I went to bed, and I woke up in the morning, and it was gone. And I had to wear some cheapo shirt with stains. or so I was really upset. And I'm up there preaching. And I'm preaching, as you know, and I see my son James walking in the back, going to the children, and he's got my shirt on. I had the wrath of God coming out of me. I said, I'm going to fire him. <laughs> Do you think I fired him? He's my son. I love him. Now, you think about this. What if you go into the White House today, and you go into Biden's closet, and you start trying on his shirts? What's going to happen to you? you going to jail because he ain't your father. God's your father. I love Mary. She says, woman, what do I have to do with thee? Just do what he says. Gave him that look. I'm telling you, we're family. We can't around. Now, I'm not saying God, we go around, order around God, do stuff. But what I'm saying is we have a tight relationship and he takes seriously and intimately what we say to him. The person that sees God as father has entirely different authority than the person that sees God. I've, I've seen people, God, if it's your will, you know, I'd like to be healed of cancer. I mean, what kind of father wants their child to die of cancer? What kind of diminished concept do some people have of what a father is? Now, I don't understand why everybody's not healed, but I know one thing. It's not because God doesn't want to heal them. I don't understand it. I don't understand why Stephen died. I don't understand it. And God and I have had that out. And God said, you understand, but just trust me. I trust you, but I'm upset. And God's like, you, you, well, you just trust me. I trust you, but I'm upset. And I found out you can love somebody and be upset at them at the same time. And if you don't believe me, get married, right? <laughs> I just, I'm not referring to my marriage, of course. I'm referring to Pastor Bill and Beverly. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I better shut up. So number two. A lot of us lack authority in our lives in Christ and our relationship because we're not under authority, right? Got oodles of, of potential and charisma, but we don't allow that to be tested under authority, right? One of the greatest ways to grow spiritually is to learn how to forgive. I've been there, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. We'll stir up all kinds of demons tonight, and I don't want to do that. But anyway, it says... Uh, it says in Matthew chapter 8, 8 through 10, it says, My servant will be healed. This is a centurion, right? For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say this one, go, and he goes, another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does that, or he does it. 
When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, even in, not even in Israel. Think about this. He's talking about authority and submission to authority. And what did Jesus notice out of that faith? If you're going to have faith, you have no problem submitting to people. That, are, that God has placed in you. Now, submission is always an attitude, but it's not always an action. If somebody tells you to go sell drugs, obviously I can't do that, you know, or, you know, but it's always an attitude. And, 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 and there are times where we need to serve, well, all, all authority is defective, right? All, all of us have problems, but one of the greatest elements is when you can serve and glorify God, even when you're under Potiphar, right? Even when you're in the pit, even when you're in prison. You say, no, but God, there's nothing my relationship with you can't handle. Right? And I, and, but um, let me just give you a quick example because and I, I really reduced this because I want to get to something at the end if I can here. Uh, but it, it's really a hot button. But anyway, um, so Jesus modeled this, right? Because when you are submitting to authority, you're not submitting to the person, you're submitting to the person who put them there. Right. You heard the police say, you know, if you come against me, you're coming against, you know, the city, city hall or the president or, you know, and it's true. If God has placed somebody there, he knows the future of that person. He may be a lousy leader, but he, he might be David, man, like all kinds of problems. But down the road, there's nobody that has a heart like he does. You, know, you don't know. So our job is to submit to the point that we're glorifying God and bringing edification. And, and, and sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. But, but it's, it brings edification to the body. And sometimes the greatest thing we can learn how to, to bring growth in our life is just learn how to serve somebody that we don't want to, you know? Uh, but, but, okay, so Jesus, he submitted to authority. You remember when he came to this earth? He comes to John the Baptist, and he says to John, baptize me. Now, baptism at that time had to do with you're coming under the mentorship of that person. You see them as your, your teacher, as your authority. And, G, and John, what did he say? I can't do this. He says, you're like God. I mean, you are God. And he says, no, you need to suffer this so that all righteousness should be fulfilled. In other words, I need to honor and respect the position that God's given you because I didn't put you there. Well, I did, but God did when he was up in heaven. But you know what I'm saying, not me, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, but, but he, he's respecting the authority that God placed. It, you know, and, and so people don't understand that. Even Jesus did that. I'm not talking about some blind submission concept that you submit to somebody to the point where, well, my husband said I can't go to church, you know, stuff like that. Because let me tell you, a wife can say, look, honey, I love you, and my heart is submitted to you, but I ain't going to destroy my relationship with God. You, you, you know, I mean, God comes first. But, but there are things like, hey, can you help me uh, clean the church? Oh, that's not my ministry, Pastor. Well, but maybe it is that day. You know, Kim and I and, and, and our family, when we go to church, it's the first thing we do. I'm after that pastor's heart. I'm not, I'm, and, and it, it, you know, that's, you know I'm, I love preaching in churches, but if I encourage a pastor, I encourage a church. If I encourage a church, I encourage a community. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's the pastors that the enemy goes after, strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And so I go there, and, and I'm telling you, one time I was in this church, and uh, Pastora Sandra, she's a pastor, 
she shows up. She's all dressed up elegantly and all this. And we'd had a meal the service before, the night before. Plates and garbage and the dog spread it everywhere. She's out there. No, no, you don't do it. I said, Sandra, I will do it. No problem. But she never, she's, well, leaders don't do that. Absolutely. That's a true leader does that. A true leader is willing to help and serve. Because you're going to get somebody's influence by serving in love more than you are preaching to them. But, but anyway, uh, we need to be under authority. You know, because it's being under authority that allows us to be developed. I, when I go to my, my son-in-law's church and my daughter, and, uh, I almost said daughter-in-law, that's my daughter. Um, and, and then uh, there's another pastor there too. There's three pastors. They're just all co-equal pastors. But um, when I go there, I mean, they, they call me and some, a lot of times I counsel them and talk to them and all this. But when I go there, I'm under their authority. You know, because God didn't place me there as pastor. He placed them. And I'm there to help them. I'm there to encourage them. And when I'm before them, Julissa, I don't call her Juke. I call her Pastora or Pastor, Pastor Julissa, you know, before the people. Why? Because I'm honoring that position that God gave them. And if you can't do that, you can never grow in authority. You can't. Uh, you've got to be under authority. And that's what Jesus, I think, was saying there. Now, number, the other thing I want to talk about real quickly is, is, um, is we lack authority because we really don't understand origin. Right? So let me just break this out a little bit. Uh, and I, I talked about this one night. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have what? Anybody know? Dominion. You were created to have authority. But for you to have that sphere of authority to grow, you need to allow those giftings to be what? Developed in you through submission. If you don't, you'll never have it. You ever seen those people got great, oh, he could be an evangelist, but he's nothing more than a person selling cars. Why? Because he never truly submitted himself. Now, I'm not saying a guy selling a car is always that guy that I just said. So if there's anybody selling cars here, don't get mad at me. But what I'm saying is sometimes people miss their gift because they're not willing to humble themselves under authority. Um, so then it says here, it says, over the, uh, have dominion over the, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image, and that was when the woman was in man at that time. So he's talking about the woman there. In the image of God created he, uh, created him, male and female created he, them. So when God created the animals, and I talked about this before, he created the plant life, he created the sea life, he spoke to the elements of the earth. But when he created you, who did he speak to? Himself. Because you and I were taken out of God. You and I have elements in us that no other creation has in the universe. You have DNA of God in you. You, I mean, Jesus was, uh, every one of us have, have talents and giftings and, and, and a divine destiny wired into us. None of us were some accident that happened after a drunken night of your parents. Now, that may have happened, but the Bible says from the foundation of the world in Ephesians that God designed you to be here. So it doesn't matter how you got here, God wanted you here. And I even said one time, I think, that, that if the scientists say that, that the odds of us, our parents meeting and us being conceived and born are between 1 and 400 trillion to 104 quadrillion or something like that. It's a number I can't even say. But, but you're a walking miracle. You're not an accident. God purposed you to be here. 
I mean, Jeremiah, he said, before I formed thee in your mother's womb, I knew thee. I set thee apart as a prophet. So we don't need to walk around aimlessly. We were made for a purpose. The question is, how can I get there? How can I be, have God design this in me? And that's what I'm talking about. Because before you can have authority, you got to allow those giftings and those purposes to be designed. You may be a light bulb and you're trying to act like a microphone, you know? I mean, uh, you may be, you know, um, uh, 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 have giftings of, of like uh, an air conditioning, but you're, you're, you're jealous because you want to be a Hillsong singer or something. I don't know. But a lot of times that's the problem. The devil gets us focused on something else so that we don't have who we are developed in Christ and we miss it. All right, I know I'm going kind of quick here, but I, I want to get to this last point. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, I believe Genesis 126 changes everything because, you know, every person in this world, the prostitute, the drug addict, the criminal, and, and, and everybody has been born with a divine design, a DNA, underdeveloped capacities and gifts and qualities that Jesus wants to save, redeem, and activate. And that's exactly what he said. For the Son of Man, what did he say? Has come to seek and save that which was lost. See, the salvation of humanity is not an option. We have to reach them. We're not being nice when we reach somebody. Every person that you reach on the street corner, drunk, whoever, that is a designation. Not a designation. What I'm trying to say. That is a, a destiny. That is a purpose that is potentially being saved. It's an assignment and purpose of God. And even a part of God that's being restored. I believe that's what Jesus is saying there. The Bible declares that we were in his heart from the very foundation of the world. And I said that already. So, what we don't understand is that upon birth, in each of us, there exist these underdeveloped gifts, right? Uh, and, and, and a gift set probably the best way to say it. And according to the development of our gift set determines the sphere of authority that we walk in, right? And, and I, the, I can, I'm trying to do this quickly, but you, you guys know when, I'll just read this real quick in Genesis chapter 45, 8. It says, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now listen to this. And he has made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler of, and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Who said that? Joseph. How many of you guys have had your brothers and sisters try to murder you? Throw you in a pit? God, I can't forgive my... Yeah, well, Joseph understood not only, did he, 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 not only did God give him the capacity to forgive, he had to forgive, right? I mean, he was in the pit. He was left behind. I mean, but here's the deal. He was transformed into father of Pharaoh, and Lord of his house, which really at that time, Pharaoh was the most powerful known king on earth. And Joseph was his father. And he was Lord over all that he had. Think about that. So how did he get there? He got there. First, he had to be in a pit, abandoned by his family. Then he was sold as a slave in Potiphar's house. And then he's on death row thinking, man, I know I love God. I know I'm reading my word. I'm seeking God. And for years, and I haven't done anything wrong but yet he continued to prophesy to people. He continued to interpret dreams. He continued to be connected to God, even in the darkest hour. Why? Because he was being developed for something awesome. You were, if you submit to these situations, I don't need to put up with that. I don't need to do that. That's not right what pastor did, or that's not right what this guy did. Look, if God, the question isn't what people do. The question is, did God place you there? That's the question. 
Because God, if, if so, there's a process there that God's developing you that will take you somewhere where you want to go because you're going to discover who you are that you never, you probably don't even know yet. So I, I said it this way here. Let me get out of the way. Um, if it wasn't for the slave house and the prison house, Joseph would never have been father to Pharaoh. Why? Because it was by being abandoned in the pit that Joseph learned how to forgive. And it was, it was, it was being a slave in Potiphar's house that Joseph learned how to respect defective authority. Right? We can come up with excuses for not doing what we want to do. We always put God on that label too. It's really sad. You know, it's not my ministry, you know, or whatever. Um, because it was by being tempted by Potiphar's wife that Joseph learned the difference between respecting authority but never, 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 never allow anything to cause you to be unfaithful to God. Uh-uh, I ain't touching you. Because it was by being in prison, waiting on death row, that Joseph learned that it doesn't matter how dark life gets, there is no trial, crisis, or tragedy that can defeat a persistent and intense intimacy with God. Your intimacy with God can handle anything. The question is, are you meeting with God? So, um, I want to do something. Can, can you guys come forward? Uh, um, yeah, good, good, good. So it's important that, that, that we submit uh, to sometimes very uncomfortable development processes because God is developing dominion and authority in us. Now, I want to explain something, Right? God does not back up, that's not my phone, is over. God doesn't back up his authority, uh, his authority um, for people who can't submit to authority. He doesn't. And that don't submit to a development process. This is why there can be people that ooze with charisma and giftings and capacity, but are absent of the presence and authority of God. Let me, let me explain. I'm going to have to set this. Well, let, okay, so you guys know Pastor Beverly and you know this guy, right? So, Joel. So if these two look at each other, you don't mind. I mean, get a mean look, you know. So now, 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 like, if they're by themselves, right, and they get into a, just a, a dude. I mean, they're 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 trying to kill each other. I think we who's going to win that? Identify now, I wouldn't be surprised if Beverly did. You know, to be honest with you, paradigm. I probably should got somebody else. Really, but, but paradigms. I said yeah, paradigms. Yeah. But and, you know, and, he, and he also has power by someone's sex or right? age. He you know, capacity. instead of by developed grace gifts that Christ puts on them. You can visibly see when somebody's called by God to do finances, for example, right? They have a grace that's been trained, it's been developed. And I think that a lot of times we look to other criteria instead of what the Holy Spirit is developing and doing in them. Does that make sense? Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4, and then 1, and then verse 7. And I love this chapter because Paul is talking about our giftings. And he insinuates that we all have a calling. Listen, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, beseech you to walk worthy of the, what? Calling, where which you were called. You were called, all of you. All of you have untapped resource potential giftings and abilities in you that, that, that need to be trained so that you have this, this sphere of authority that's developed, right? And it says in verse 7, but to each one of us is given what? Grace, right? It says, on each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Every one of you have been given gifts. And according to that gift, God will supply a grace that causes that to be developed in your life. Right? And, and, and so I think what we have to do, you know, so many times, like, I'll just give you an example. I'll go into churches, and because of paradigms, right, I, I was in a church recently where the wife was an amazing preacher. Amazing. And, uh, because, I mean, she's preaching to me, like, every day. And I'm like, man, this lady's, I'm like, I know where this guy's getting his sermons from, you know? And all that, and all and, and, and I'm like, I'm talking, and he gets up, and he's dead. Great teacher, but he's trying to preach. He's trying to go outside his grace. And the church is mediocre. And I told him, I said, why don't you let her preach and you teach? Well, you know, women can't do that. You know, nah, 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 nah. Do you think that Jesus is going to come up to a woman and say, you know, I won't say anybody's name, but you know, Charlotte, what you did was wrong preaching and leading people to me. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I mean, they're not going to be, Jesus is not going to judge them because they brought somebody to heaven. Because you're a woman. Yeah, I, I'm going to expose some things maybe, but, but maybe, maybe not. But um, here Paul is talking about the calling upon every Christian's life and the grace according to it. And we are all called and in grace to develop a gift in us. But how about instead of Limiting people because of marital status or age or past failures or, or their sex. We determine their calling by the gift of Christ that is being enhanced and engraced in them and developed. Right? Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let, let us use them. If one prophesies or preaches, that can also be translated preaching. One prophesies or preaches, let him prophesy in proportion to his faith. Uh, our ministry, let him use it in, in, in our ministering. Uh, he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts exhortation. He who gives. We like that one. <laughs> we would live liberality because we need that. But um, I, I wish I had that gift, to be honest with you. I'd like that. With, but, you know, I have a lot to give. But, but we give in other ways, right? He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul gives an example here. A preaching or prophesying, ministering, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading. What is the criteria that he gives for that? Better not be a woman. He didn't say that. What's the criteria? A grace from God in their gifting. Not an age limit, not their sex or their marital status. You can do any. I always told my daughters this. You can do anything God tells you you can do. Anything that God wants you to do. Don't you let anybody limit you. And it's true. But the devil wants to put all these paradigms in our minds. Well, you know, you, you ate this cake years ago, and you know, or you sinned, or you did this. And, 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 and we limit the authority that God wants to develop in our life. It's so sad. Sometimes, you know, well, I, I, I just think it's real sad. So let me just say this. Let me just deal with one bomb that everybody says, oh, I don't know what to do with this scripture, okay? And, and if you give me five, ten minutes, whatever it is, what time is it? Praise God. Amen. This is a bomb. This is a major bomb. And God is just, I felt like, I, I feel like God's giving me some sort of understanding on this. But maybe, anyway, I'll just share it with you and you guys can correct me later or whatever. I may be wrong. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15, 
you very rarely hear preaching on this visit, on this scripture. Now you got to understand that when the King James was translated, it was translated in 1611, and women basically just existed to have babies and take care of homes. And you know, childbearing was a very risky thing. I mean, you're like you get pregnant as a woman in 1611, and you're rolling the dice on living. Okay? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't understand that. And so women were seen as disposable. They're not, but they were seen that way. And so there was consequently, the Bible, when they read something, they're, they're slants. Like, for example, where it says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, is it 5 or 4? 5, where, where, where it says, um, it says, submit unto one another. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But in the Greek, you ask any scholar this. In the Greek, that word wife submit, that word submit is not there. What it is, it starts in verse 21 where it says, Why, it says, submit to one another. And what it really says in Greek, it says, for wives, it looks like honor your husband. For, for husband, it looks like love your wife. Love her and, you know, give in. Let her do what she wants to do in the house. She's better or whatever. I'm not trying to be generalizing, but, but you know what I'm saying? And then he goes on to the slaves and masters. You know, you're, they submit to one another, sons and fathers. That's what he's doing. And, and, but because they couldn't get out of the mind of a man submitting to a woman, I'm going to tell you, every man in this room has submitted to their wife. I know many times my wife said to me, Rick, you need to be careful. This person, and there with a big old smile, I think, man, they love me. And then the next thing you know, I'm pulling a knife out of my back. You know what I mean? Because she sees things that I don't see. I mean, there's a scripture that says this. The man's body is not his own, but the wife has authority over his body. Yeah. I mean, we got to get out of this. We are to submit to one another. We're to, we're to recognize the grace gift that he has. He has leadership, right? I have evangelism. She has administration. I have encouragement. How about instead of us competing because we all have this like paradigm that I'm supposed to be in charge because I'm the man. How about I look to my wife and say, wife, I need your help. I can't do this. And I've seen churches when they do it, they explode. When they really start looking for God, what are you doing in every individual? Let the prophets prophesy. Let the teachers teach. Let, let the ministers minister. You know, on and on and on. Let, let those who have the helps ministry help and do it with cheerfulness. But anyway, it says this. In like manner also, uh, that the women adorn themselves with modest apparel. And it says with uh, propriety and moderation not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing right and it says but which is pro which is proper for women professing godliness with good works let a woman learn in silence <laughs> right <laughs> you guys turn to your wife and say that see what happens <laughs> let, 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 let a woman learn in silence with all submission and i do not permit a woman you know what a lot of scholars say he doesn't say, I do, not let, I do not let a woman, but that woman. Paul was dealing with a situation in a church. It's not a universal truth for a universal problem. It was a specific answer for a specific problem. Right? But anyway, um, it, but it says, And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Right? And it's, I'll tell you what, if my wife was silent all my life, I would have made so many mistakes. I don't know about you guys, but I would have made great mistakes. And it says, and it says uh, for Adam was, was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, listen to this, she will be saved in childbearing 
if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What about the women that have never had a child? They're going to hell. I mean, guys, when you read a scripture like this, and there are people, let me just say it this way. When people read a scripture like this, and they, 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 they uh, project on everybody a doctrine based on that scripture, when the vast majority of scripture says something else, that is not a revelation of the integrity of scripture. It's a revelation of their heart. I don't know if they, does that make sense? Uh, have you ever seen people, you know, somebody that's bitter? Man, they'll find a way to find a scripture and turn it the way they want it. And I'm telling you, there's a guy, I won't say his name. If I said his name, everybody would know who he is. And he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant pastor. He said something I felt that was, I can use the word stupid because I didn't say his name. Uh, but he said, the problem with the church today are women. And this man's brilliant. I mean, he's a great teacher. But I can tell you what, he's got bitterness in his heart. Because it's caused him to see the scripture in a distorted way. That's not a revelation of scripture. That's a revelation of his heart. Because the, the, high, the overweight of scripture is on the complete opposite. In fact, I could destroy what he said just by one scripture. And, 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 by the, and, and that reveals that there's a lot of this principle all through the Bible. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But, but the whole point I'm getting at is when people do that... It's not really a revelation of scripture. It's a revelation of their heart. Does that make sense? When, when they just get to one vague scripture and they twist it into a way that, that segregates and, and, and uh, uh, ostracizes and, and disenfranchises people. That's a, re- that's a revelation of their heart, not of scripture. And let me explain this because th- th- this is really cool, this scripture, what I found out about it. Um, now, we must remember that this book is a response to false teaching that was happening in Ephesus, Right? Uh, and and uh, this book, uh, this book is giving a specific answer to a specific problem, right? Again, like I said, it's not a universal answer for a universal problem. And let me give you an example. In chapter five of the same book, Paul uh, Paul talk, talks about to Timothy about the widows, and if they're if they're if they're under sixty years, you can't give them any anything. You can't give them anything to help the widows that are under sixty. So does that mean if our church helps out a young woman that's thirty nine? We've broken biblical principle? Absolutely not. That was a specific situation. We don't know the situation of the church. Maybe they were limited in finances. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, the lifespan was a lot, lot, lot longer. Or We don't know the details. But what, but what you have to do is get the heart of the scripture. Be generous to people who are needy, but don't be irresponsible with God's money. Right? Instead of just like, but, but people want to put a number on it. Oh, women can't teach. That's not what he's saying there. Because you can look in the Bible. There's all kinds of examples of women teaching. And, and so, so anyway, um, like I put it, I said this way. There is no hard, fast rule in the Bible that says women can't teach or preach. Except when you read this scripture, right? We see in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about women wearing coverings. The coverings like a wedding ring. There are women coming to church acting like they were single when they were married. Prophesying and preaching. Because the word prophesying and preaching are really like, that, that, that it means, uh, prophecy also means declaring, you know, the word of God type of thing too. So, um, but, but uh, you know, you see this, Paul gives this opening for them to do this, the women. Uh, in in um, Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions Hunia, Hunia, Junia, I guess it's Junia. Uh, she was an apostle, a woman that's an apostle that, an apostle does everything, right? And, 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 then, and then in Acts, it really puts Priscilla 
And then Aquila was backing up, kind of like Joyce Myers. Her husband says, I support, I'm there to support Joyce Myers. Well, if you look in the Greek, you can ask Greek scholars, Priscilla comes first. And they were a team. They're really an apostolic team, a missionary team. But she and her husband corrected Apollos doctrinally. That's a correction. I can go on and on. Mary Magdalene, she preaches to the apostles. You know, the, the, the Samaritan woman, the history, what history says about her was that she was on a level of the apostles considered in the first church. She was, she was considered, what I'm trying to say is just because when you look at a scripture like this, you have to look at it in the light of other scripture. And then it brings you to other questions because there are situations that universally apply to everything, right? Murder is always murder, right? I mean, you know, adultery is always adultery. But then there are things that have to do with the situation, right? And you have to understand the situation, what Paul is addressing to understand his answer. And so let me just touch this real quick. Um, from what I have studied in this passage, Paul is dealing with how women were embracing. This is what I've studied and seen. How women were embracing both Christ and the goddess Artemis. Artemis, Artemis, or Diana is the same god, goddess. Right. And, and it's interesting because there's this there's this I've been looking, listening to this theologian and he says that they have found um, some manuscripts from two different uh, Greeks at the time of Paul from Ephesus. And they start talking about Artemis. And he says, what's really funny is I'll just I'll try to make it quick here. Uh, he says that when they start talking about how the women showed piety to Artemis, the, the goddess, the women that were like her prophets and stuff like that. It was the exact same dress code that the women were coming to church with. When Paul said, hey, don't let it be pearls. Don't, don't, and braiding of the hair. He said, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's the exact same thing. And, 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 and so what he was saying, and here's the other thing, Artemis, she promised that if you would show piety and worship me, I will save you in childbearing. You won't die. And see, you got to understand, in that culture, women were dropping like flies, you know? It's, you know, I mean, when they gave, gave birth a lot of times. And all these women are scared. So they're coming to church, and they're dressing like, okay, it's kind of like this. You ever seen people that they're not really Christians, but they get saved, but they're like, well, in case God doesn't work, I'm going to look at the horoscope. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen people like that? I've seen all, in Latin America, it's all over the place. And that's what's happening. They're showing up at church. With these, with these, these styles, like you know, and they're talking at church, like, hey, you know, Jesus is fine. What they're saying, fine, but you know what, Artemis, don't forget her. You know, don't forget her. And Paul's saying, let these women be silent. You get it? You understand what's happening here? Let these women be quiet. I will, and I will not have that woman who's leading this have authority over anybody, any man. You see what's happening? He's deal, He's giving an answer. For a specific situation, not painted on all women because I had a bad marriage and I hate women. I'm going to use that scripture for that reason. So sad. It's really pathetic to think that. And then, and then here's the other thing. I'll, I'll, I didn't. I, I, I probably. I mean, there's so many scriptures, right, that I mentioned. But I, let me just say this. I'll go to the last part because I could break this down even more. But um, okay, so by embracing the styles of the followers of Artemis, right, who was known as the mother of all living, that the women were trying to use Artemis as a safety net, right, as I said before, in case Jesus didn't work when they, when they had babies, you know. And it's not like they go to the hospital and get birth control. I mean, I'm not trying to get personal and all this, but, you know, it's just a different situation. 
you know, and we don't see it in that light. We see it in the light of our light, you know. Women can't teach. You know, that's what we see. But, um, but listen to what Paul says. He says this scripture, right, uh, talking about this. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Yeah, that, that, it says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in love, or faith, love, and holiness and self-control. With self-control. You know what Paul's saying there? And I've heard people talk about this. In the, th- the word being saved through doesn't mean it's like going saved through, or it will be saved through fire. In other words, you'll be protected from the fire. Right? And again, when this was originally translated, there was a slant towards the purpose of women. And basically, I ha- please don't get mad at me, but in the past, a lot of men saw women as baby factories. Right? And, 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 and so, you know, what, what Paul's saying here, listen to scripture again. He um, said it, he said, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness and self-control. What Paul is saying here is, listen to me. If you put your faith in Christ, he will save you when you're giving birth. He will protect you. You won't die. Stop putting your faith in a false god. But think about this. Some people, I don't understand this. Women are not saved eternally because they give birth to children. That's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, they're saved by Christ, faith in Christ. Nor is the existence of women tolerated because they're a baby factory. I mean, this is ridiculous. If people try to turn it and twist it and you just shut up and don't teach and you take your place, that is, there's some that's wrong. That is not a revelation of anything in scripture. It's a revelation of a bad heart. I'm telling you, that's what it is. I've seen it. And, and some of the, some of those people could be cruel, really cruel. And it's not right. But anyway, um, so, but even if we didn't have this cultural, and I didn't explain it all, but does that make sense what I was saying about Artemis? Did that, did that come across clear? If you read it, you'll see it. And I, I could bring out some other things. But, but even if we knew nothing about the specific problem in Ephesus that Paul was dealing with, we have an overwhelming evidence of Scripture that women were not created less equal than men. We do. Peter refers to women as joint heirs of grace. You're, not just a, you're just not just an afterthought. You were predestined to be here since the, before the foundation of the world. You have a calling. You have a purpose. And don't you let anybody or any persuasion or any person talk to you out. You can do anything that God wants you to do, no matter your age, no matter your race, your ethnicity, or your sex. Don't allow anybody to limit you. I love the scripture. Um, and, and I've referred to this before. It says, the wife doesn't have authority over her body, but the husband does. Now, we get that, right? We understand that. But then, what? And then it says, and likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You ain't telling me what to do. I'm the man of the house. We got a lot of stuff we got to get. Let me tell you, you know, uh, there are areas where, where Kim trusts my authority. But, and I have authority in my giftings. There's areas where Kim has giftings, and I have to trust that. Does that make sense? And when you do that, the marriage will go to a level like you can't believe. I believe that. Um, and, then, and then, of course, Galatians 3, 28, there can be neither Jew nor Greek. There can be neither bond nor free. There can be, uh, there can be no male or female, for ye all are one man 
in Christ Jesus. Don't define yourself by anything else but the Word of God. You can do what the Bible says you can do. You have what the Bible says you have. And, and you are what the Bible says you are. Um, I remember my mom used to sing this song to me when I was a kid. And it transformed my life. Because I felt limited. Because when I grew up to be a kid of a single mom, and, you know, we've had our exploits, <laughs> you know, through different marital circumstances. And anyway, I won't go on all that. But my mom had a gift of faith. And, you know, I, I was almost murdered, and my grandmother was. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that. I, I'm not. I, God has healed me of all that. I'm not saying that for pity or anything. But my mom would come and sing a song to me when I was a boy. And it changed my life. And, and when I'd get you know, afraid or have different things go with it, she'd sing that song. By his word, I have no fear in me. By his word, sickness can't dwell in me. By his word, I have prosperity. By his word, death cannot swallow me. By his word, I walk in victory. By his word, I've been set free. And I believe that. How about you? I want to ask if you stand. I want to pray for you tonight, and I'm going to turn this over to Pastor. I, I dominate this whole time. I want you to be thinking about what God has got in your life and what you've limited. And it all starts with being under authority, coming to pastors and saying, help us. This is what I feel I'm supposed to do. What do you think? Get their counsel. Because you're not, the Bible says God has placed each member of the body where he's pleased. Most of the time when you go to a place where God places you, there's a lot of times that you're not going to be pleased. Why? Because you got changing to do. And I got changing to do. But God's pleased because he sees the final product. Lord, I lift up everybody in this room. God, we all want to walk in authority. We all want to discover, discover our gifts. But God, I ask that you would give us humility. Give us the ability to walk in a way that glorifies you in the circumstance that we are in. Show us, Lord. I ask that you would begin to reveal what you're calling each person to do. And Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit doesn't just do things that go along with what we feel it's in us, but there are counterintuitive things that shy people in the mission field become preachers, uh, that, shy, that preachers become counselors. Or you know, God, there's, you just change us. You make us, uh, your spirit has the capacity to change us from faith to faith to glory and glory. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here that you begin to awaken their gifts and give them a desire to serve so those gifts could be developed and, and, and uh, be, be saved, developed, and sent out. In Jesus' name, amen.